0: His grace has been amazing in my life. I don't understand how he can love someone like me continually. <laughs> I grew up um, a rough neighborhood of San Jose. Um, I came from a whole family. I had a, I had a, you know, I had a pretty good childhood. I was really close to my brother and sister. Um, just um, we ended up moving to Modesto, and um, I got involved with the wrong crowd here, and I started uh, drinking, and I started partying, and. There was things that happened to me when I was younger, things I'd never dealt with, um, things that me and my family just never talked about, um, and so this led me to becoming full-fledged alcoholic. Um, I drank for about 10 years, from about 16 to 26, um, and just living that party lifestyle, not caring for anyone but myself. Um, one day, um, I uh, met a girl that actually attended Big Valley. Um, she brought me here, and I started checking it out. And uh, I ended up one day walking through the doors of Celebrate Recovery because I knew I needed something more. Um, I was doing all the motions in church. I was, you know, totally, you know, thinking that the pastor was saying was great. You know, I was even moving a little bit to the music, but not much, you know. Um, And when I walked through the doors of Celebrate Recovery, the first time, I mean, I went home and um, I cried like a baby. I uh, cried and cried and cried, and I realized that I couldn't do this by myself. That I needed Christ, and I asked Him into my life that night, and I've uh, never been the same since. The way He's changed my life is I realized that there's nothing that I can ever do that'll separate me from His love. I think that's one of the biggest things in my life right now. Is um, you know I, I know that He's my Lord and Savior. There's nothing, no performance-based things that I can do that'll make Him love me any more, or any less. He's done more things than I could have ever imagined for myself. He's. Uh, Led me to be able to uh, co-lead two-step studies for Celebrate Recovery. Um, I do announcements for Celebrate Recovery. Um, I also um, worked at uh, Christian Berets last summer as their associate camp director, which was an amazing ministry. That guys call me now. It's weird that guys call me and they're like, one, they're like, "Hey, how are you?" And actually, you know, real friends that care, the people that care about you, you know, and. Uh, people that call me to get wisdom to talk to me about Christ and about you know what what he's doing in my life just blows my mind I never pictured myself here I never thought that my life could be anything like this and Christ just continues to amaze me I couldn't imagine anything else it just it just he continually blows my mind
1: Unbelievable, isn't it, that God sent his son here to give us an incredible life. Jesus said, "I've, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. And not only does God come and forgive us of our sins, that we might spend our eternity with him forever, but he saves us for a purpose. That down here on planet Earth, He might then take our one lives and, and use it for His glory. And it's always neat to see how when someone gets saved here, and then the next thing you know, God begins to use them in in some in some place. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Well, I want to welcome those of you that are over in the in the venue, man. Great crowd over there, and I want to welcome. Those of you that are listening on online, live, we have hundreds and hundreds of people that listen on live, online, live, and we're glad that you're all with us. Uh, everybody take this, um, this little thing here, this little shell thing, everybody pull it out, okay? And we uh, make this up each week uh, for you. We want you to be able to see the um, uh, the verses from the scriptures that we're going to look at together. We want you to be able to read it and and maybe god will say something to you maybe something will you know uh, be stirred within you it could be through a song it might be through a, one of the testimonies or something something that's set up here and you ought to be ready because we really believe that god speaks and you're going to hear from him today and we don't want you to miss anything and this is something you can use later on at home to remind you maybe what you what what you've heard well We uh, started a a new series here last week at Big Valley Grace on the book of Philippians. We're, We're calling it Shining Like the Stars. Paul said this in chapter two. He said, live clean. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights. One version says, shining like the stars in the universe in a world full of crooked and perverse people. And in my mind, I have this vision of Paul going outside, maybe one night, and it was dark, and he looks up, and he sees the stars piercing the darkness. And he goes, that's it. That's what we're to be. The world is a dark, crummy place. And those that call themselves followers of Christ are to, to live in such a way that they shine like those stars. I think, um, in my opinion, I, I told you this last week, I think this is the key verse to the entire book. This is the, the goal of the, the letter. Paul's purpose in writing this letter was to encourage these followers of Jesus Christ to, to live God honoring lives in in the midst of just a a crummy culture. Jesus said something similar in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, Let your good deeds shine out for all to see, Christian, so that they, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Beloved, the the world is a, a dark place, really dark. And God longs for his followers to shine in such a way that that people would would notice, that people would be attracted to your light. You you ever been outside and and turned on a light? What what does a light do? It attracts bugs, doesn't it? God says, I want you to shine. I I want you to attract people. I want people to somehow look at your life and go, man, I, I don't know what it is about them, but there's something unique. Something different. Last week I shared with you four things from the first 11 verses that Paul did that made him such a bright light. He, he encouraged people, he prayed for people, he was patient with people, and he loved people. And I challenge you to develop these qualities in your life because encouraging people shine, praying people shine, patient people shine, loving people shine. These kinds of people make a difference for the kingdom that make a positive impact on, on those around them. Now, today we're gonna to look at how you can live a, a God-honoring life or you know, shine like the stars in the midst of, of difficult times. How you can make a positive impact in people's lives even though your life has gone haywire, which is important to know, right? Because this side of heaven, life's tough. This side of, of heaven, life can be really crummy Jesus said, hey, this side of glory, you are going to experience difficult times. Hard times are the, you know, just the standard equipment of life. So it's important to know how we can shine, how we can be bright lights when we've been kidney punched by life. Because we all have been kidney punched by, by life. You see, it's, it's easy to shine for God when everything's going great in your life, isn't it? It's easy to shine for God, to live a gone honor in life, and everything's going your way. But, but how do you shine when everything's falling apart around you? Well, in our text, Paul gives uh, us a, a couple of really important things to consider. And I think that uh, all of us will shine better If we look at these things and and maybe apply them. So let's read our our text together. It's verses 12 through 26. It's in your notes. It'll be on the Jumbotron. um, Or you can look at it in your Bible, okay? Paul says, and I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ Because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. Always people like that are around, right? But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached. Either way, so I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance, for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past, and as I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better, but if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ, so I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me, but for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so that I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he's doing through me. Beloved, I, I told you last week that the book of Philippians is actually, actually a letter that Paul wrote to a group of Christians to a, a church in a town called Philippi. Now, you need to understand that these people really loved Paul, okay? They, they, they just deeply loved him. They were close friends of him. They knew him well. They, they were great supporters of his ministry, as Pastor Rick just uh, told you a minute ago. They supported him financially. They, they prayed for him, if you will, every Sunday morning in church. He was one of their global partners, if you will. He would have been one of the missionaries on the wall. He would have been out there at the reach wall, you know, on the Sundays that he would have been at, at church. The bummer was that, that, they, that they hadn't heard from Paul in a while. They knew things were were tough in his life. They knew that he had been locked up in prison, and so there's no doubt that they were wondering, what's going on with this guy? Man, we love him, and we care deeply about him. We, We give to his ministry. What's happening? I hear he's in prison. Is everything okay? They were worried about him personally. They were worried about his ministry. I mean, if the great apostle Paul was in prison, what was going to happen to the spreading of the message of Jesus Christ? So I'm sure these people were excited and a little nervous about what Paul was gonna say in this letter. I want you to imagine, I've tried to do this as I've studied, imagine you're in church that weekend, probably a home, and you've gathered the pastor stands up or the elder or the deacon or whoever the leader was stands up and says, hey, listen, I've received a letter from Paul and I'm gonna read it to you. You could imagine some of the emotions that might have been in the room that day. Paul? Wow. I wonder how he's doing. I wonder what's going on. Is he okay? Is he alive? Well, what's happening to the message of Christ? And so you can imagine that the people were probably a little on edge, excited, nervous. What's this letter going to say? So one of the first things that Paul does is he puts their hearts at ease. Look, Look at verse 12. Paul says, I want you to know my dear brothers and sisters that everything that has happened to me here, being arrested, thrown into prison, chained to a palace guard 24-7 has actually helped to spread the good news. (laughs) Wow. Not only is Paul okay, he's alive, right? But all these crummy things that were happening to him were actually helping his ministry. They were actually helping to spread the message of Jesus Christ. Now, I tried to kind of imagine what might have happened in the church that day. Hadn't heard from Paul in a long time. You know, there wasn't any email or, you know, texting or, you know, all that stuff. Hadn't heard from him in a while. I know he's in prison. Man, is he alive? Is he dead? What's going on? What's happening to the message of Christ? And I believe when the preacher read verse twelve, read that part of the the letter, I believe that great rejoicing broke out in the church that day. I don't think he got past verse twelve. I think the people stood up and were hooping and hollering. Yes, not only is he alive, not only is he okay, but the gospel's still spreading. I think verse 12 was an an incredibly encouraging moment for these people to to read. Now, I want you to really understand what's going on in Paul's life, okay? He spent about two years in prison in Caesarea on some trumped-up charges, some bogus charges. He's then put on a ship and sent to Rome to appear before Nero, who was one of the most evil men to ever walk the planet. Okay, he made Hitler look nice. And while he was on this ship headed to Rome, uh, the storm comes and 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 the you know, there's a shipwreck, the, the boat sinks, and he ends up on an island. And while he's on the island, you know a bunch of vipers show up and and he's bitten by all these poisonous snakes. Then when he finally makes it to Rome, he spends another two and a half or more years in prison there waiting for his trial to begin. But it gets worse. The Romans were so worried that Paul would somehow escape, they had him chained 24 hours a day, seven days a week to the palace guard. These were the elite, you know, soldiers of the day. These guys were the SEAL Team Six, if you will, of the day. They were the secret service of the day. These were very influential men. They had access to to power, the palace guard. And Paul is chained to one of them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. When Paul went to bed, he was chained to one of these men. When Paul woke up in the morning, he was chained to one of these men. When Paul took a shower, he was chained to one of these men. When Paul went to the bathroom, he was chained to one of these men. He literally had zero privacy. Four plus years, he's in prison. He gets on a boat. It wrecks. He ends up on an island. He's bitten by a bunch of snakes. And now he's chained to one of these guys 24-7. Beloved, Paul was experiencing a crummy life. Yet when Paul writes this letter, he doesn't dwell on any of this. He doesn't dwell on his crummy circumstances. He doesn't get all upset and gripe and complain and grumble about all the horrible things that are going on in his life. He doesn't curse God, you know, and blame God for, you know, all these horrible things that are happening to him. He doesn't quit going to church or quit giving or quit reading his Bible or quit praying or whatever. Paul doesn't do any of these things. Instead, Paul dwells on what God is doing in the midst of all these crummy things. He made a choice. He's going to write to these Christian people. And he's got a choice. What do I want to tell them? Much like you, when you gather together with your girlfriends at Starbucks and you have coffee or you gather in your home group this week and start a new semester of meeting in small groups or you get together with a couple of your buddies somewhere and you're hanging out or you get down and, you know, decide to blog, you know, or you're going to write an email to somebody or text to somebody, or you get on the phone with somebody, you've got a choice, don't you, about what you're going to communicate. You can communicate all the crummy things that are going on in your life. Woe is me. You can do that. Paul didn't do that he dipped his pen in the ink, he made a decision. He wasn't going to focus on that. How, how was Paul able to have such a positive outlook when everything in his life was so messed up? How was he able to shine when everything in his life was falling apart, man? His life was nothing but chaos. How did, how did he do this? How did he pull it off? Well, I think there are a couple things in our text. And may the Holy Spirit speak to you as the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Number one, Paul made the choice, and I want you to circle that word in your notes or or underline it or, I don't know, jab your finger on it, uh, poke at it. I don't care what you do, but I want you to see that word. Paul made the choice, and it is a choice, to look beyond his crummy circumstances to see what God was doing in the midst of them. Look at verse 13. Paul says, For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. That's just beautiful. I mean, that's just really beautiful. That's why that man shined so brightly for God. That's why that man was used in incredible ways for the kingdom. That's why he's still used today to make a difference in in people's lives. You see, Paul had a choice to make. He could tell these people about all the crummy things that were going on in his life, and they were crummy. Or he could tell them about how the Lord was working in the midst of all the crummy things. And we see here that Paul made the choice to keep his eyes on God and what God was doing in the midst of all the chaos, which is why this man shines so brightly for God. Now, this is what I want you to do. have a little fun with you here for a second. I want you to imagine you've driven to Yosemite, okay? And you get out of your car with your lawn chair, and you're looking at the perfect place to take in the beauty and the grandeur of El Capitan, okay? Most of us have been to Yosemite, okay? So imagine, you've driven up, you got your chair, you're in the midst of God's beauty, and you just want to be able to look at El Capitan, okay? You've planned for this trip for months. You, you've saved for this trip for months, You've taken extra days off from work for this trip. You know this trip is God's will for your life. You and your family have prayed for this trip. Everybody's excited, man. Your kids are excited. Your wife is excited. And there you all are, okay? There are your, your wife and your kids. Over there maybe is another campsite. They got their chairs set up. Oh, Over there is maybe another one. El Capitan. Wow. All you've ever done is seen pictures of it in a book. And it was beautiful in a book. Now you're there. You can smell it. Nothing like being in Yosemite Valley. There you are. Got the picture? Man, life is good. So there you are. You're just sitting there, God's creation, you your family. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, someone drives this big, huge, ugly Winnebago right in front of you. There it is. That's all you can see. El Capitan is gone. All you see is a big, ugly Winnebago. It's blocking your view. It's ruining your vacation. That wasn't a part of your plan. Everything that you have planned for, prayed for, saved for, has gone haywire. This Winnebago is causing you a lot of heartache What are you going to do? Well, you got a couple of choices, and each of them will impact the people around you. The choice you make is going to impact your wife. The choice you make is going to impact your children. The choice that you make is going to impact those that are in the other campsites that are watching this thing. I mean, they're probably going, Dude, that's uncool, man. (laughs) Thank God the thing didn't park in front of us, right? Yeah. Easy for them to rejoice. There, there you are, man. Right, is, let me give you a couple of those choices that you've got. Number one, you can choose to get ticked off and bitter at the, at the Winnebago. You simply focus on the Winnebago. Man, that's an ugly Winnebago. That paint job's ugly. It's covered with all kinds of rust. I could be looking at El Capitan, but no, I'm looking at this big, ugly RV. I deserve to look at El Capitan. God, this isn't fair. I didn't deserve this. And if that's the choice that you, you take, it's impacting your, your, your wife. It's impacting your kids, right? Those over in the other campground, they're, they're listening to you moan and groan and gripe and complain about the Winnebago. Another option you have is this. You can make the choice to think or say something like this. You know, boy, that's a, that's a really nice Winnebago that just parked right in front of me. That's what happened into my life right now, so I'll just say that the Winnebago is a good thing. I'll just say that that's God's will. Honey, that's God's will for our lives. Hey, kids, that's God's will for our, for our lives. <laughs> Let's just enjoy the motor home. <laughs> Number three, you, you can make the choice to get angry and bitter at the driver of the Winnebago. And think to yourself, you know, if that driver had been more sensitive of my needs, they'd have never parked right in front of me. And I could have enjoyed El Capitan. Stupid driver. What an idiot. And and that that attitude would impact those around you. Beloved, there's lots of options, right? But let me share with you what I believe is the the best option to deal with this this crummy situation. And this is deep. This is why you came to church today. Let me tell you. This is, get your pencils ready. Here's another option. Move your chair. <laughs> I, yeah. wow. I can move my chair. There's an Good idea. You see, you can be all ticked off at the Winnebago. You can do that. You can be ticked off at the driver who actually pulled the Winnebago in front of you. You could say, well, you know, I guess that's just the Lord's will. And just sit there and look at an old, ugly Winnebago. Or you just go, hey kids, I I got an idea. Let's just move our chairs. And you move your chairs. And your angle might be a little bit different. You may not see it exactly the way you were going to see it. But you'd see it. And beloved, this is exactly what Paul did. Instead of focusing his life and his energy and all of his juice and all of his circumstances... He decided to move his chair and try to see maybe what God was doing in the midst of it all. What was God doing? And I want you to know something. If you'll catch this, if you'll somehow grab a hold of this, it'll revolutionize your life. You will shine for Christ in ways that you never have. Now, am I saying that you somehow have to forget about all the crummy things that are happening to you down here on planet Earth? No, because that's impossible. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is is this, is that you basically got two choices. You can, you know, decide that, man, I'm I'm just going to gaze at the Winnebago. I'm just going to gaze at my problem and I'll glance at the Lord. That's a choice that you have. The Winnebago shows up and you go, okay, I'm just going to, I'm gazing there, but I'm, I know I'll glance at the Lord. I'm a Christian. I mean, I go to church. I'm here, right? You're here at Sunday morning. You're over in the venue. You're listening on the internet. Right now you're, you're, you're glancing to the Lord, but in about, you know, 20 minutes you'll walk out these doors and there you'll be again, gazing at the problem. Or you can make the decision to gaze at the Lord and glance at your problem. You see, we all got them. We all got problems, and you can't just forget about them. You just can't even race them and not think about them. But what happens to us too often is the motorhome pulls up, and we gaze there as believers. Yes, you know, we'll glance at the Lord every now and then. We'll open our Bibles. we throw, throw out a prayer or whatever. Instead of just going, look, man, I, I'm, just, I'm just not going to gaze there. I'm going to gaze there. That's where I'm going to go. Yeah, i got to look at the stuff that's going on in my life. i I got to spend some time here. I, I get it. But you don't have to gaze there. Paul made the, the choice to gaze at the Lord. And what did Paul see God doing? Well, I think he saw a number of things, but, but let me share with you too. Paul saw God using his circumstances to bring people to Christ. Verse 13 says, for everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. Imagine being chained to the great apostle Paul for a six to eight hour shift every day. What do you think Paul talked about? (laughs) Jesus, man. Paul loved to talk about how Jesus had changed his life. Paul loved to talk about how Jesus could change anybody's life. Paul loved to talk about the life of Jesus. He loved to talk about the death of Jesus. He loved to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. And we know that many of these people gave their lives to Christ because of it. In fact, because of Paul's imprisonment, Jesus became the talk of the town. In fact, he became the talk of the emperor's household. You see, later on in chapter 4, Paul says this, all the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. Now, how did the people in Caesar's household hear about Christ? The palace guards. Those, as I told you, were very influential men. And so maybe after their 6 to 8 hour shift when they were done with Paul, maybe they went up and they were the you know the emperor's bodyguard or the emperor's wife's bodyguard. They had access to the highest levels of power. And so I can see one of these guys giving their life to Christ. I can see Paul chained to this you know this SEAL team 6 member who bows his head and gives his life to Christ. The shackles come off. He's shackled to somebody else and now that guy goes into Caesar's home. And maybe Caesar's wife, somebody there, maybe Caesar himself says, hey, what's up with you? I see something different in your life. And Caesar's household now knows about Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you, what impact do you think Paul would have had if while chained to these guards, he would have simply focused or gazed on all the crummy things that are happening in his life? What if Paul would have griped and complained and been bitter over his circumstances? What if Paul would have had the, you know, poor me kind of an attitude? Do you think any of these palace guards would have, you know, even cared about the God that Paul was talking about? Do you think any of them would have wanted to listen to him? No. Listen, nobody likes to listen to a whiner nobody now sometimes we're forced to listen to people whine because maybe they're our spouse or they're our kids or they're someone like that but nobody likes to listen to somebody whine nobody likes to listen to somebody gripe and grumble and complain nobody and if you do If that's you, I I like to listen to whiners. I love to listen to people complain and gripe and grumble. You need therapy. You need to go talk to Cindy. Make an appointment with Cindy because you're sick. Man, who likes to listen to someone whine? Could you imagine? Those guards wouldn't have cared anything about Paul's God. Beloved, I believe these guards watched Paul every day for over two years. And not only did they hear about the difference Jesus Christ could make in their lives, but they also saw the difference Jesus Christ can make in a life because they saw the difference that Jesus had made in Paul's life. They knew he'd been in prison for years. They knew about the shipwreck. They knew about, you know, the, the the snakes. They knew it they knew it. And they were they were they were attached to a guy that was just he made a choice that he wasn't going to focus in on all the crummy things that were going on in his life. They saw his optimism, they they saw his joy in the midst of horrible circumstances. He was shining like like the stars, and because of that, God used him in great ways. Now now listen carefully, okay? This is the practical piece, okay? Right here, mono y mano. Here we go, right here. Put your pencils down. I want you to listen to me very, very carefully. You may not be chained to anyone, but make no mistake about it. People are watching you. You have people you work with, people you play with, people in your neighborhoods, people who cut your hair, people who service your car, people who go to school with you, people who are sitting right next to you right now in church. They're watching you. In fact, in a weird way, you kind of are chained to them. And they're watching you and they're listening to you. And beloved, one of the greatest opportunities to share your faith with someone comes when the circumstances of your life go crazy because people are watching you. You you may never get the chance to verbalize your faith, but you'll share something about your faith during a crisis. You may never get to tell anybody about the God that you believe in, Christian, but you're telling people something when you're going through a crisis. They're watching you. They're listening to you. And when you make the choice, and it is a choice to look beyond all the crummy things that are happening in your life and gaze at the Lord, you know, you move your, your chair and you see what God's doing in the midst of all the stuff, I want you to know your life begins to say something beautiful about the God you believe in. Your, your life begins to shine in a whole new and, and fresh Way. Number two, Paul saw God using his circumstances to encourage the people to live bold lives for God. Verse 14 says, and because of my imprisonment, Paul says, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's amazing the impact one person can make when they choose to have the right perspective in life, huh? when they choose to focus on the right things, when they choose to gaze at the right things, listen, Paul didn't see himself as a a prisoner of Rome. Paul saw himself as a prisoner of Christ. Paul didn't see himself as some, you know, poor victim. No, no. Paul saw himself as a conqueror for Christ. That's what Paul. So the first thing Paul did was he made the choice to look beyond his crummy circumstances to see what God was doing in the midst of them. Now the second thing Paul did was this. Paul made the choice, and once again it is a choice, to look beyond personalities. That's crummy people. To see what God was doing in the midst of, of them. Verse 15 says, It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy. Some are preaching out of Rivalry. But others preach about Christ with pure motives. They they preach because they love me. For they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my change more painful to me. But what does it matter, Paul says. Oh man, this is tough here. Whether their motives are false or whether their motives are are genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Beloved, Paul is simply making the choice to focus his attention on the right priorities, not on the personalities, not the people. I think that when crummy things happen to us and our circumstances go haywire, you know, there's chaos. I think we could probably make it through if everybody rallied around us and prayed for us and hip hip us and lifted us up and all that thing, kind of stuff. The bummer is, is when something happens and people show up who then begin to just poke you in the eye. People make it worse. I believe that as Paul was in those prison cells, all right, but I'll tell you what, he knew. He knew why some of those preachers were out there preaching. He knew their motives were crummy. He knew that they were just sticking it to Paul, causing Paul more pain, more sorrow. At least that's what they thought. Paul just went like this. I'm I'm going to move my chair. And I'm going to look beyond this crummy person. And what I'm going to do is go, you know what? They're they're preaching Christ. So whatever the motive, it doesn't matter to me. They're preaching Christ. And I'll rejoice in that. I was thinking about when we um, opened up the the, the Youth Activity Center, those of you that are in the venue right now, it used to be a youth center. It's the venue now. And when we opened it, I don't know, 20 years ago, it was, it was state of the art, man. It was unbelievable. The church had given, and we built this beautiful complex over there. And, and finally, it was a day to open it up. And so all the people from the church got to go over and walk through it. And I remember I was on crutches. I'd had some knee surgery, and I was standing at the mid-court line. It used to be a big basketball court. And people were coming in. I, I mean, a thousand people came in. Oh, this is beautiful. This is unbelievable. They could see all, man. I know kids are going to get one to Christ here. Man, the gospel is going to be preached here. Kids will be encouraged here. The lost will come here. I mean, there were all these great comments. Man, this is a beautiful building, unbelievable building. It was just, woohoo, woohoo. It was unbelievable. One couple, I remember, they don't go to this church anymore, thank God. There's somebody else's headache. They, 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 they walked up, they walked up to me and go, uh, who chose these colors? Uh, I, I, I don't know. I left that day. Couldn't remember what a thousand people had said. All I could remember was the one person who just poked you in the eye. Couldn't see any good in anything. All they could see was the color scheme. All the way home. Ought to be rejoicing and all that. I couldn't do it. I want you to know, God brought back to my memory that, as I was studying this, The Winnebago pulled up right in front of me in this family. (laughs) And this is what I did. (laughs) And it just just sucked the life out of me. (laughs) And what I needed to do was probably just move my chair and say, yeah, I guess, you know, I don't know. And just focus in on what was going to happen. But I, I, I didn't pull it off. Paul said, I know that there are people out there, you know, there are personalities out there that are preaching Jesus with crummy motives, but at least Jesus is being preached. And that's what I'm going to choose to focus on. How do you do all this? How do you look beyond your circumstances and the personalities in your life? How do you move your chairs so you can better shine for Christ? Well, I think Paul gives us the answer in verse 21. Look at it. Paul says, For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. And, beloved, I want you to know I think that might be one of the greatest statements in all of the Bible. It's the key to keeping your eyes on God and what God is doing in the midst of your circumstances. In the midst of crummy people, I wish I would have known about this verse, studied this verse 20 years ago. Better late than never, right? You see, Paul's old, he's tired. He's been in prison a long time. He's ready to go be with the Lord in heaven. They've taken everything from him, His, his friends, his ministry, his freedom, his privacy. They've taken everything from him except the one thing that nobody could take from him. It's the one thing that nobody can take from you, and that is a purpose for living. They couldn't take that away from Paul. And Paul says, listen, man, if I'm alive, I'm living for Christ. If I wake up in the morning and my heart's still beating, I'm living for Christ. If I wake up and I'm still locked up to a prison guard, I'm living for Christ. If the circumstances around me are all crummy, I'm living for Christ. Christ. If people are out there, you know, kidney punching me, poking me in the eye, trying to make things worse, I'm living for Christ. Let me ask you a question. How would you answer the question? For me, living means living for, don't say it out loud. I mean, really, just think about it. Because I know what you'd all say. Oh, Christ. I I want you to think about it. Really. Really. In our culture today, I think most people would say one of three things. I think most people might say living for me means living for possessions. I got to buy, 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 get, get, get. And if I don't have the money, man, I'll put it on a credit card. Even if it puts me into debt. We saw that happen. I didn't have enough. Didn't have enough stuff. Things weren't big enough. I had to get, 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 even if I couldn't afford it. I'm getting it. So I went to work. I got a second job. Man, I made my spouse go to work. Man, we're all working so we could pay for all this stuff we didn't even need. I think for some people, living means living for pleasure. You know, if it feels good, do it. Anything that makes me feel good. What matters is, you know, I've got desires, and I want to fulfill those desires. Yeah, I know God has a will for my life and all that, and that's all good and well, and I'll listen to you preach, countrymen, but when I walk out of here, really, what matters is it's kind of me, (laughs) how I feel. I want to make sure I feel good about life. I think for some people, living means living for power or position or prestige or popularity. We dress for success, you know, we we, we, you know, drive to impress, image is everything. For some people, especially teenagers, it's popularity. Some people will do anything if they can just fit into some peer group, even if it means they've got to lower their standards, you know. So how do you make this verse a reality in in your life? For me, you know, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. How do you make that a reality? What's the application here? Well, I'm going to give you three things that Paul shares with us as I wrap up the message. Okay, number one, you need a lifetime commitment to serving Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul says in verse 22. Paul says, but if I live, I can do more fruitful work. That's ministry. That's serving for Christ. If I do wake up in the morning and my heart's still beating and all that kind of stuff, look, if I'm alive, I'm doing ministry. If I'm alive, I'm serving Christ. And if you want to make this verse a reality in your life, you need to make a a lifetime commitment to serving Christ. Look, you show me a person who's not involved in ministry, serving the Lord, and I'll show you a person who's simply living for temporary things, which means when crummy things happen to them, guess what they're going to focus on? The Winnebago. That's what they're going to focus on most of the time. Why? Because if you're not involved in serving Jesus Christ, it's difficult to keep your eyes on the eternal, isn't it? The second thing that will make this verse a reality in your life, for me living means living for Christ and dying is even better, is this, is you need to develop uh, a, a deep desire to be with Jesus. Paul says, I'm torn between two desires. I long to go be with Christ, which would be far better for me. Paul was committed to ministry, but boy, he had a deep longing to go be with Christ. Beloved, more than anything, Paul wanted to be with Jesus. When Paul thought about dying, it was cool to him because it meant he got to be closer to Jesus. Jesus. Death was no big deal to him. To to, to Paul, death was a friend. Death was a a liberator, if you will. Paul understood that life and death were in God's hands, so as long as God was going to keep him alive here on, on planet Earth, he was committed to a lifetime of ministry, but he longed to go and be with Jesus. How did he get there? How did Paul get to the place in his life where all he wanted to do was be with Jesus? Look. And this is important. Because the average Christian, if you were to ask them, would you rather stay here or would you rather go be with the Lord? They would say, oh, I'd rather stay here. How do you get to the place to where, man, what matters is just being with the Lord? Being with Him face to face. You get there the same way Paul got there. Paul got there by spending time with Jesus. Jesus. The reason why some of you, you know Christ, and, and if you had a choice between staying here and going and being with the Lord, you you choose staying here and not for the right reasons, is because you really don't know him. You don't know him. You don't know him intimately. Because when you know him, you just want to be with him. You got Paul got there by spending time with Jesus in his word. He got there by spending time with Jesus in prayer. He got there by spending time with Jesus, you know, in in service to him. And beloved, that's the way you get there. By spending time with him, reading his word, praying, serving him. Look, I've never seen the, the Lord, you know, face to face. I've certainly seen the Lord in his creation. I can see a lot of things about God in creation. I can see how creative he is. I can see how powerful and majestic he is. I know a lot about God when I look at creation. It's unbelievable. Obviously, the the Word then gives me a whole nother layer, a whole nother texture to who God is. The Word tells me about the love of God, the, the compassion of God, the holiness of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God. Looking at El Capitan, can't tell me any of those things. El Capitan just tells me that there is a God and He's powerful and awesome, creative. I've met the Lord in a fresh way Through his word, but I also have met the Lord through my times of prayer. I meet the Lord sometimes in in moments of worship when I'm singing songs to him. You see, the Bible says that you're made in the very image of God, and so when I'm with you, you know what? I I learn a lot about God because you're made in his image. There's lots of ways that, that I get to learn about Christ. But I'll tell you what, I long for the day that I actually get to see him face to face. Wow. To actually be in his very presence. The third thing that will make this verse, for me, living, means living for Christ and dying is even better a reality in your life is this, is you need an unselfish love for others. Paul goes on to say, but for your sakes, your sakes, not not his, it's better that I continue to live. Paul said, man, if I'm alive, I'm committed to ministry. But I sure long to be with Christ. That's where I would like to go. But here's the deal. I'm going to put aside my own need and I'm going to put your need ahead of my own I'm going to put your need ahead of my own desire. Paul would have loved to have died and gone to be with Jesus, but he put the needs of other people ahead of, your own, ahead of uh, his own. Now listen, you take those three things and you really wrestle around with them within your spirit, and I guarantee you that verse will become a reality to you. That for you to live, for me to live, is Christ christ beloved paul's plan was to preach in the churches of rome not to preach in the prisons of rome if paul had his thought his way he would have filled up the Colosseum and had a band there playing and he would have preached and had an altar call and everybody would have came forward it would have been fantastic that was paul's thought that was paul's idea Instead, he ends up preaching in the prisons of Rome. Being chained in a, in, in a, in a prison wasn't Paul's will. It wasn't what he expected. Like the Win, Winnebago, you know, just, this thing just pulled up in front of his life. And we can all relate to that to some degree, can't we? All of us have had some well-thought-through plan that went haywire. I know some of you who prayed and prayed and prayed and you stepped out in faith and you started a business, invested some money, and a Winnebago showed up, and it didn't work, did it? And you lost, lost it all. All of us have come up against, you know, something we didn't expect in life, Right? Last night, my friend Heather was sitting right back there, a young gal, young family. One day, she's just enjoying life, serving the Lord, and goes in for a routine uh, checkup, and they find a lump in her breast. Winnebago! And she had a choice to make, you know. Do I gripe and complain and say, poor me, you know, woe is me? Do I move my chair? And Let me tell you what she did. She moved her chair. Man, you, you look at her life and what she wrote on her blog and, and the emails that she sent out. Whoa, unbelievable what she decided to focus on. And let me tell you, she was used in incredible ways and, and continues to be used in incredible ways. All of us have had circumstances that have come into our lives that weren't planned. All of us, we can all relate to Paul here. But if you want to shine like the stars, you have to make the choice to look beyond all the crummy stuff that's happening and see what God is doing. You have to look beyond the crummy people that come into your life and see what God is doing. And most of the time you will see what God is doing, but there will be times you won't. And it's then you just have to trust that God's up to something. Because he is. He is. I want you to shut your eyes just for a moment. I don't want you to pray. I just want you to be alone. Don't worry about your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your spouse or your kid. Just, just be alone with the Lord for a moment. What's the Winnebago that's been parked in front of you for the last day or week or month or year? For some of you, that Winnebago's been there for a decade and you're still looking at it. Still looking at it. Just gazing at it. Why don't you move your chair right now? And say, I'm done focusing on this. Done. Some of you, maybe that Winnebago is been there so long, you're, you're planted in your chair, you can't even get out of it. We have an altar room. We have one over in the venue. If you're listening online, you can go onto our website and go to the altar online and write your prayer requests in and let the, let the pastors, the elders know, just say, hey, man, I got a Winnebago in front of, us, in front of me. I, I can't get out of my chair. Let me tell you, every one of the guys in the altar room have had a Winnebago or six in front of them at one time or another in their life. There may be one in front of their life right now. We get it. Let us pray for you. Maybe there's some crummy person in your life and you just can't shake them. Let us pray for you. Don't go running out of here. Let us us pray. I believe that God answers prayer. Maybe you're here and you just want prayer for your marriage or maybe there's something else going on in your life. The altar room is a place where the spiritual leaders gather for you. And please, please take advantage of it. Pastor Scott, would you close our time in prayer?